everybody. Welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your weekly baseball history podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Jeff. Joining me, as always, from the Pacific Northwest is America's favorite drunk uncle. It is my co-host, Mark A. Johnston. Mark, how you doing? Oh, man, I, I'm sobered up. I'm, I'm ready to roll. You know, I'm feeling pretty good lately because I'm look, I'm not ready to say that we're going to have a baseball season, but things are heading that direction. And uh, I can't help but but just be uh, hoping for the, the most uh, the, the, the positive, the good things to happen. And maybe we can play some baseball, although there's still a lot of uh, hurdles to overcome. So, yeah, should we play baseball this year? All of a sudden, Billy Hamilton has become like the hot commodity uh, for extra innings. Should a team go to extra innings with with the tiebreaker <laughs> rule? Billy Hamilton, Ricky Henderson probably yes. might. I, I would not doubt Ricky Henderson's throwing feelers out there. <laughs> get, get that uh, that runner started on second base, man. Yeah. So maybe you should just sign a couple of college sprinters. Herb Washington talked about him, the, yeah. the A's designated runner in the 70s. Yep. And I don't back, See? back when I used to follow football remotely, I'm a 49ers fan. If I have to claim a team, the 49ers had a wide receiver in the 80s, Ronaldo Nehemiah, who was a college world class college sprinter. And they signed him Dude. as a receiver and he he could catch a little bit, but he just outran everybody whenever he got the ball. I remember, I remember watching him. I was a kid, uh, but I remember going, because what a name, Ronaldo Nehemiah. That's <laughs> yeah. a sweet name. It's an awesome name. I mean, come on, rolls off the tongue, sounds like an athlete. Yeah, he was not, he wasn't, I wouldn't describe him as quick. I would describe him as a blur. Yeah, he was a world-class world sprinter, yeah. All right, so we've got some things. Let's jump into BP first. We've got a great show. I, I'm already going to tell you it's a two-parter. They tend to be a two-parter when we have former players on. And this one, we didn't even get through half of the questions that we had for him before we'd had him for an hour, and, and we knew he needed to get going. But we have, and we teased it last week, Don August, former Milwaukee Brewers pitcher, joined us this week. And he has just been doing some outstanding work on Twitter with these these stories he's got that he's just got crazy stories from not really so much his time in the major leagues. It's where he's played elsewhere. He's played in he's played in Asia. He's played in Mexico. He's played in Italy and he's just got great stories. So we've got him and we talked his ear off and we're going to have to have him back on uh, because I still, and I know Mark, you, you might've even washed his Jersey. We didn't even get to that. <laughs> we, we didn't get to ask. It depends on if Calgary came through Tacoma when he, if he was with the Calgary cannons, when they came through with Tacoma in 95 or 96, he offered to come back and we are going to take him up on that offer. But you got to stick around for that. Don August is, he's just got some really good stuff, but let's in the meantime, let's, I've got some BP stuff here that I really want to talk about. First of all, this was completely odd and new to me. It's about Jackie Robinson. We all know Jack, Jackie Robinson wore number 42, right? It's one of the yeah. most iconic numbers in sports, definitely in baseball, retired throughout the league, across the board. Jackie Robinson wore number 42. Do you know why he wore 42? I 
Well, my guess would be because he was batting 42nd in the order, <laughs> but I think that's wrong. Well, well, I that, don't know. Well, you know, cheers to you, because that means you listened to one of our previous episodes. In that's fact, right. I think that was our very first episode where we went over the history of so. jersey numbers. No, uh, <laughs> he wore 40, th- this iconic number 42, because that's what was given to him. there was no great story behind it and i was just i was baffled when i saw that that jackie robinson wore 42 because when he showed up in in, at ebbets field in brooklyn that's the jersey number they gave to him so there you go (laughs) well it's not the exciting story i was hoping for (laughs) it's a funny story i'm gonna make something up because (laughs) it's this great number and i that's what they gave me Ken Griffey Jr., a lot of stuff. Uh, Father's Day a couple uh, weeks ago. A lot of Ken Griffey Jr., Ken Griffey Sr. stuff on the internet. And I just mm-hmm. saw this really great story as to Ken, why Ken Griffey Jr. said that he would never sign with the Yankees. Did you see any of this? I did not. So uh, there's a video of him signing autographs at Yankee Stadium. He's with the Mariners. He's still, you know, relatively young and he's signing autographs. And this kid says, hey, please sign with the Yankees. Come with the Yankees. And he looks up and goes, I'll never sign with the Yankees. He's, and then he says to this kid, I, I will retire before I play for the Yankees. And, and you think it's just him being, hey, I'm I'm with the Mariners. But this is the story. So, you know, obviously his father, Ken Griffey Sr., was on the Yankees at one point. And Griffey was a young kid. And during batting practice one day, Ken Griffey Jr. is sitting in the dugout with his with his father. Just during BP, he's just sitting there, you know, wasn't in Jersey, but it's it's Ken Griffey's son. And a security guard comes up and he says, yeah, Mr. Steinbrenner wants the dugout cleared of anybody that's not a player. And, and Griffey's like, yeah, this is my son. This is the boss. This is George Steinbrenner said, no, if you're not a player, you're out. They they look up out there at third base and there's Greg Nettles at third base taking grounders with his son. <laughs> now, if you I mean, nice. obviously, if, if I'm sure most of our listeners know Greg Nettles is a white guy. Griffey is not. And that really resonated with both of the Griffey's. And uh, Ken Griffey Jr. right there, he said, I, I would rather retire than play for this franchise. So I thought that was really interesting, you know, with everything that is going on these days. When they talk about, uh, you know, unrecognizable racism, when you when you you say and do things that you don't even see as racist, you know, Steinbrenner may have said, oh, I don't want the black guys out there on the field or he may have just inside his head said, I don't they don't get to be on the field. They do. But deep down inside that was the motivation so and that's what's sad i i just i i thought that that was such a, a great thing to not to have happen but to you know to continue to hear these stories where yeah. where it you we, we want to amplify these these voices and these points of view so that people start to hear these and just i think that that was yeah. i mean we always like it mark you and i we love we love yankee fans we're going to be honest but you know we're, we're not fans of the organization and uh, so if, right. if you got a great player like ken griffey jr says i'd rather retire than play for you that's gonna that's gonna perk our interest so 
great documentaries coming out this year on sports, but especially on baseball. Uh, the uh, the Ken Griffey Jr. documentary from from the uh, Major League Baseball yeah. Network. Did you see Budweiser actually produced a documentary that came out last week that the Marquee Sports Network, which is the Cubs, kind of their yes network for the Cubs, uh, they mm-hmm. aired it last Last week, it was the anniversary of the Ryan Sandberg game against the Cardinals. And it's 45 minutes. Oh, it's really? on YouTube. It is outstanding. It's on YouTube? What's it called? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure what it's called. It's just if you Google Ryan Sandberg the documentary, Ryan Sandberg yeah, I, I will put a link in the show notes here. I, I would just suggest you watch it. It is so great. Uh, just reliving the game. I really enjoyed the the aspect of uh, of uh, Bob Costas talking about, you know, they had a boxing match they had to get to and this game goes extra innings. They're handing out the player mm-hmm. of the game when the Cubs are down in extra innings in the bottom of the inning. And they're like, here, w- Willie McGee, the player of the game. And then, you know, Rhino walks him off with the second homer of the game. You know, <laughs> Costas is like, people still give me crap about that. And I was just doing what I was told. We had to get moving. Uh, but I'll throw a link to that in the show notes, though. I really, everybody should watch that. That was a really outstanding documentary. Sounds interesting. So this show is debuting on June 30th. I wanted to, before we get into the debuts, I just wanted to talk about June 25th, an anniversary of a game I had never heard of that is, this is pretty much what we talk about on this show. It was uh, the Angels were taking on the Brewers, and we've talked about Devon White before Devo, from mm-hmm. the from the uh, from Jamaica, one of uh, one of the few players from Jamaica, yeah. great defensive center fielder. So this game is getting ready to uh, getting ready to start, right? Well, uh, teams both take the field. This is in Anaheim, so the uh, the Brewers are the visiting team. They're going to bat first. Game gets ready to start. Angels take the field. Jim Gantner leads off for the Brewers and uh, grounds out. And then uh, all of a sudden, everybody looks up and looks around and realizes uh, we don't have a center fielder. Devon White, not out <laughs> on the field. Oh my God. He was in the clubhouse no on the phone. <laughs> this is, remember, this is 88. So this isn't a cell phone. He is on a landline phone. I, I cannot believe that he did not know or somebody didn't say, hey, Devo, we got a game. It must have been in like the training room Nobody, or something. Did the left fielder not look no. over the right fielder and go? Something's yeah, no, missing. you know, because if if the if your bullpen is like your home bullpen is in left field, generally the left fielder will play catch with the bullpen catcher, and then the right and the center fielder will play catch with each other, or vice versa if it's on the other side. But yeah, how did that work? Did they, they must have just played catch with the <laughs> ball boy each, and yeah. and then didn't look. And then uh, the, the first out, the first batter of the game grounds out. And then everybody realizes Devo's not here. So they go and they get <laughs> Devo and they start the game over again. Which really? that's what really boggles my mind is they start the game Why over. Why would you do that? I don't that? know. There's no rule against you can play with two outfield or two fielders. Sure. I mean, it doesn't matter. Absolutely. So they start the game over yep. again. So Gantner gets another at bat and he singles to center field. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> he's like, if only I would have done that the first time. Sure, that's a inside the park home run the first yeah, time. Yeah. So uh, anyway, Angels, uh, the right fielder that game was Chili Davis. So he's one of these guys we're blaming okay. for not noticing. <laughs> but this is what he said after the game. He said, yeah, I yelled to the umpires, but not only are they blind, they're deaf as well. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> so I thought that was just, I thought that was crazy and uh, never heard of it. And I had never yeah, heard of that. That's crazy. That's uh, wow. Kind of stuff we like to talk about. Funny stuff. Let's talk about debuts. Uh, June 30th, I've got one debut I want to hit. It is a guy made his debut for the Boston Red Sox today, Wilbur Wood. You you familiar with Wilbur, Wilbur Wood? Wood. Uh, a little bit. I believe we've discussed him on a, a little yeah, he's, bit. I, I, the only thing I really knew about him is he's a knuckleball pitcher. That, that's yeah. it. So yep. he uh, yep. he came up with the Red Sox. Uh, he also played mainly for the White Sox. So he just really changed the stirrups at one point. Career-wise, 164 wins, 156 losses. He led the league in innings pitched twice as knuckleballers. You know, that's not rare for them. <laughs> yeah, he do. also led yeah. the league twice in hits and earned runs. But his career ERA was 3.24. Wow. Not, you know, not bad at all. Uh, 1968, he then set a single season record. He appeared in 88 games when he was uh, he was coming out of the bullpen at that point early <laughs> in his career. That's more than half the games. That's a lot of appearances. That's a lot of pitches, yeah. So a couple of things I wanted to mention. July 20th, 1973, Wilbur Wood started both ends of a doubleheader. The last pitcher wow. in baseball history to do so. And I think we can put a period on that sentence because I don't think it's going to happen again. Uh, yeah. So right. not only was he the last one to start both ends of the doubleheader, he lost both games of the doubleheader. <laughs> <laughs> That's a rough yeah, day. Really bad day. He finished the season with 24 wins and 20 losses. Last pitcher in the American League to win and lose 20 games in the same season as well. But, the, I mean, this doubleheader, a little yeah. context here. He didn't make it out of the first inning of game one. He oh. faced six batters, didn't retire one of them, and gave up six runs. And then in the second game, so they're like, all right. I, he was not scheduled to start both games, but he pitched so poorly and just not very much in the first game. They're like, hey, let's not screw up our rotation. You're going in there for the second. He only lasted four and a third, and he gave up seven runs in that loss. So, Ouch. yeah, you said it. Not a good day. Yeah, that's a rough yeah, one. Yeah, it really is. Wood tied the American League record for most batters hit in an inning on September 10th, 1977. In the bottom of the first inning, another positive yeah, thing. In the bottom of the first inning at Anaheim Stadium, he plunked Dave Kingman, then Don Baylor, no surprise, then Dave Chalk <laughs> consecutively for three hit batters in a row. You know, none of those dudes are small guys. No, but also they were probably hit with knuckleballs, <laughs> so they were probably like, eh. That's true too. Probably swatted at it. Yeah, like was a that fly. a gnat? Oh no! I, oh, take my base. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Once you throw that knuckleball, man, who knows where it's yeah. going? A couple of other uh, players of note. We won't go into depth on them, but a couple of other players that made their debuts today in 1984. Mickey Tettleton, Fruit Loops himself, made his debut. Hey. Switch hitting 
Gotta love Mickey catcher. Yep. Switcher and Another catcher. Uh, catcher of note. Ten years later, Mike Lieberthal made his uh, his debut. Yeah. He's a longtime Philly catcher. And then in 2007, yep. Jacoby Ellsbury made his debut. I say that just to upset Yankee fans. And then in 2008, the next year, Brett Gardner, which will then make those Yankee fans happy, made his debut. There, so there you go. go. So there's our debuts for June 30th. Now, Mark, I realized last week we completely forgot our trivia question we asked the week before. Yes, and I'm sure I had the answer, but I forgot <laughs> So it. just to refresh your memory, and this works out kind of well because I just mentioned that Jacoby Ellsbury made his debut today in 2007. And this question was, in July of 2016, Jacoby Ellsbury of the New York Yankees broke a record halfway through the season. Which single season record did he break? Now, when I ask you this, you had no clue. You've had two weeks to think about this. Any any idea? I'm thinking he probably led the team in eating the most at the postgame meal. Uh, No. No, sorry, that's wrong. No, so Jacoby Ellsbury broke a single season record midway through the season by reaching base via catcher interference. <laughs> what? By July of 2016, in that season, he reached base via catcher's interference nine times by the middle of the season. Holy cow. That is incredible. I've been working in professional baseball all these years. I've seen it twice. Yeah, It ever. just happens nine times. so <laughs> rarely that it's nine times. So it, not surprisingly enough, uh, he finished that season with 12. So he, he obliterated the record. He finished his career with 30 times he reached base via catcher's interference. <laughs> he was trying. Come on. There's no way that accidentally that's, happens. 30. I mean, for a average major league player, that's an like an outstanding two weeks of just getting on base 30 times, period. Absolutely. But to do it by never even that's having crazy. touched the ball, that's pretty good. <laughs> Okay. All right, so I got another. I got another question for you. We'll, we will remember next week to give you the answer to this one. Yes. All right, Mark. Here's my question: What is the record for most home runs hit in a nine-inning game by a single team? Wow, that's. Um, I'm gonna have to go through a few thousand games <laughs> in my head. I will just. I'll give you a hint. It's a lot. I I was dumbfounded. Really. Yeah. You think about that. I'm excited to talk about okay. this game when we when we go over this next week. So, I'll think of some of the great home run hitting teams. Uh, you can. I don't think that this team would come to mind, but you you can. Really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So you think about that. Everybody else think about that, and uh, we'll give you the answer. I promise. Next week we won't forget. Mark, let's let the guys come out and uh, put down some new bases, drag the infield, wet that sucker down, and let's get ready to talk to Mr. Don August, former Major League pitcher for the Milwaukee Brewers, and about 1,800 uh, other teams, both in the minors and different leagues. He's got some great stories, (laughs) and uh, we'll get to some of them because we just kept going with him. So without... uh, Any further ado, let's uh, jump into our talk with Don August. 
We've talked about this week's guest Twitter feed several times on this show. It's been a great surrogate with the lack of baseball and fits perfectly with the kind of stories we like to tell and talk about on this show. We are very excited to welcome this week former Milwaukee Brewer pitcher Don August. Don, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, I look forward to talking about some of these stories here. Thanks for having me. Hey, so let's um, let's start with. Uh, usually, we start in the minor leagues when we talk to, to players, but you have got uh, a great experience uh, and, and were a member of a very famous team before you even got to the minor leagues. You were on the 1984 Olympic team, which we have talked about several times here with some, you know, just some incredible teammates with Mark McGuire, BJ Surhoff, Will Clark, Shane Mack. And, and you grew up in Southern California, right near LA where this Olympic, where the Olympics took place. Can you just tell us, you know, what it was like to A, make the team and then, you know, kind of the experience of pitching in the Olympics? Well, I mean, as a kid growing up, I was, you know, a big sports fan. I loved everything. I, you know, I played myself, baseball, football, basketball. Um, when the Olympics came every four years, I was watching those as a kid. You know, I got really into them. You know, I, all the big stars and you saw them on the commercials and on TV and things like that. And then, you know, when I was in high school, uh, after the 1980, you know, Olympics, you know, they're looking forward to the 1984. We're going to be in L.A., which is the area that I grew up in. So I thought it was just kind of cool that, you know, they had the Olympics again. You know, they had them there in 1932. My first high school, I went to two different high schools. One was in the L.A. area, and the school was built in 1932, and they were called the Olympians. Hmm. You know, I just had a little connection of always being with the Olympics, and now they're back in L.A. in 84. And they're going to have baseball in it that year as a demonstration sport to bring it in, you know, be a part of the Olympic tournament and play for medals. They didn't officially count on the medal counts when they add them all up and stuff like that, but every everybody would receive a medal depending on which place you finished in. So um, I thought that was kind of cool that all that was going to be in it. Now, I go, God, you know, I'll be like a junior in college at that time. I wonder, you know, how well I do if I can have a chance, but I ended up going to a, a small little division two school out there in Southern California called Chapman college. You know, it wasn't the big USC's UCLA, Cal state Fullerton's and all of them. But when I went to Chapman, you know, I saw my our schedule as they were recruiting me and all those big schools were on it. So I figured if I pitched against all those schools, maybe I could get noticed you know, end up my starting of my college career, I was doing pretty well. One thing that got me noticed, which I had in one of my tweets, is playing baseball in Alaska, and that was a you know a pretty big time uh, summer league for college players. And my freshman year, I went there. I did real well. I won the pitching title, was the pitcher of the year. So I got a lot of exposure and attention by scouts. So by going into my sophomore year and junior year. They were now trying to form the U.S. Baseball Federation was trying to start to form and make a team, how they're going to go about doing that. In the fall of 83, they had all these trial camps across the country, and one of them was going to be at Cal State Fullerton. People had heard that there's going to be this camp there, and I remember sitting in my 
college, we had a, you know, a practice and we're in the dugout talking and the guys are saying and my team that they're going to go try out for this team. And they asked me if I was going to go. And I said, nah, it's too early in the morning. I'm not going to go do that. And my, uh, my college coach overheard things. No, you're going. So, okay. I better, I guess I better go now. So I showed up and there was like 163 players that showed up at this one camp and they're only take one guy off of that. And they are going to have them meet in Louisville. And, and I think they would end up going on and be on the Pan Am team to play those Pan Am games that were in Venezuela. Well, I ended up coming in number two. Shane Mack out of UCLA was the number one guy, but they said they keep a top 10% list of players. Then in the upcoming college season, they can kind of look and see how these guys are doing. So I ended up being in that top 10% list. I go into my junior year of college, and I my team was great. I did really well, and I got all this attention in. Uh, then in June of 84, I got a telegram sent to me at my college. My college coach said, hey, you got a telegram. Let's check this out. And there's some the U.S. Baseball Federation. And they said, I was invited to be one of 31 guys now to make the final list. And we're going to go on this Olympic, this be this big pre-Olympic tour. And on that tour, they cut the team down to the final 20 players. So that's when it kind of got more real to me that, I, hey, I actually can be on this Olympic thing and reflecting back that, you know, watching all these Olympics as, as a kid, you know, all these winter and the summer Olympics. And now that there's baseball and I'm sitting right in there and I had this chance and we went on this tour, I did well, I, I made the team. So kind of a, a long story about that is I didn't, you know, when I was a little kid, there was no baseball and there was no chance. And all of a sudden it came up and I, you know, you got to have a lot of luck and you got to create your own luck. And I, and I did that. One of your teammates on on the Olympic team obviously was Mark McGuire, and you had a now was was your Alaska league experience before or after the Olympics? Because you you met up with Mark McGuire in Alaska as well. Yes, that was before the Olympics. The Olympics occurred in '84. That was my junior year. I went to Alaska after my freshman year that summer, and so did Mark McGuire. And I always tell, you know, everyone kind of knows the story a little bit about Mark McGuire. Went to USC primarily as, at first as a pitcher. So he pitched his freshman year, however many of the guys are freshmen. But they saw, you know, at USC, they saw this potential that this guy could, you know, mash the ball a little bit. So they sent him up to the Alaska League to go up there and play, learn to play a little first base and work on your swing and see what happens. So... We uh, we both were freshmen that year, and you know the story I have in my Twitter is uh, I had a no hitter to the bottom of the ninth inning in a zero zero game, and Big Mac McGuire uh, hit a home run off me, a walk off home run on me. But that was like when we first got to really meet and know each other. Then Chapman College, we always played USC in baseball every year. So the next couple of years, that when we go up and play USC, you know he'd come over and we kind of say hi to each other, and we kind of remember his big home run off of me. And, but, you know, I, I saw that big potential of him coming on. And, of course, he came on strong at USC and became this great power home run hitter and did that in the major leagues. So you were playing against, because Randy Johnson also went to USC. I, I mean, that was a stacked team that you guys, and they were, you said they were on your, uh, on, uh, on your, uh, your schedule, right? Yep, USC. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, Randy Johnson, I remember him at the time. He, of course, he's this big, tall, left-handed guy, but he, he was kind of wild <laughs> at first. You know? I mean, <laughs> That's being kind. To find himself. I just tried to find himself in his big body. He didn't, he didn't make the Olympic team. He wasn't even brought out for the tryouts. And um, he got drafted. People saw him as a big left-hander. And I remember playing against him in the minor leagues. He, he was drafted by Montreal, the Expos, who are now the Washington Nationals. And, uh, you know, I remember when he first came up, he was kind of still finding himself. And when he first came up with Seattle, at first he was still kind of finding himself. But then when it clicked in, <laughs> he turned into this all-time Hall of Fame pitcher, though, yeah. Just looking at some of the some of your teammates on that uh... – 84 team uh, and and will clark barry larkin not such bad players themselves um yeah yeah <laughs> is that, that had to, did you how, what kind of traveling did you do like before the olympics usually there's some exhibitions and stuff like that oh goodness yeah we went on a serious little trip it was like uh i gotta get i think in 30 days we played in 31 cities 33 games before we did before we went to the Olympics. I mean, it was grueling. It was a grueling trip. And, but as it was, we're trying to, we're promoting baseball. We're trying to promote into the, for the Olympics. So we went in this big tour across the United States. We played in 12 major league stadiums, which means we played before a major league game. So we had to be off at a certain time, but the major leaguers would start creeping out into the dugouts and be watching our games and, you know, the fans coming early to the major league game would be there. So it was really cool to be in these these stadiums. We played against a number of minor league teams and local college all-stars, and we played a seven-game series against Korea. We played a seven-game series against Japan, and, you know, and just on and on. It means every day travel into another city, wake up, get on a bus, airport, arrive in the next city, do a banquet, play the game, wake up the next morning, and just do it day after day, and, you know, one of the times, one of my stories I told is, we were playing in Shea Stadium in New York, and we were just exhausted, tired. And, of course, we always got to every place super early on top of everything. And so we were sitting in the locker room in Shea Stadium, and we were just exhausted. And everyone goes, why don't we just take a nap? <laughs> so Dato, Rod Dato, the head coach, says, all right, sure, Tigers. He called everybody Tiger. So he turned the lights off in the locker room and chased in, and we all laid on the floor, took an hour down. <laughs> you know, I mean, if we can catch a wink anywhere, we did. And Gato had this phrase. That he said that we learned how to sleep fast. <laughs> so that's kind of how that tour went. It was crazy. Yeah, I, I never heard of nap time with a baseball team before. That's good. <laughs> oh, this thing, we slept anywhere and everywhere. If we're on a bus, we were sleeping. If we we're on a plane, we were sleeping anywhere, yeah. You had one of those really cool 1985 Tops U.S. Olympic cards. Those are absolutely iconic for collectors. But um, do you remember anything at all about signing with Tops or anything like that? Yep, yep. Um, I remember. I, mean, I still get those cards sent to me in the mail, and people send me letters saying, oh, these." I remember this as a kid. These are my favorite cards. You know, that yeah. Set and, and so on. Now, we had 20 players on the team, but um, – only 15 of us were allowed to get a card done on us. The other five guys were still in college. So if you oh. got paid for doing that, you lost your amateur status by the NCAA. So our oh, five okay. sophomores, which was B.J. Surhoff, Chris Gwynn, Barry Larkin, 
Bobby Witt, Will Clark, those guys couldn't make one. But I think they did like a, a something later on, like a year or two later after they signed, they did kind of a, a Olympic kind of card on them guys. But the original 1985 tops was, you know, the the guys that were all became professionals. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, what's his name? The guy that was the head of tops, Sid or Cy, Cy something. He, he came to us and said, Hey, we'd like to make a special set of you guys. And we had to sign a contract and, I think he gave us like 500 bucks to do it or something like that. And we were like, cool, having our own baseball card. Said, yeah, do it. <laughs> no yeah, doubt. That's as soon awesome. as that set came out, man, those things started arriving at the stadiums where I played and in the mail. And, and literally, I still get those cards today, constantly. Those were super popular. Continuing about the Olympics. First of all, I want to ask about the opening ceremonies. There was a guy in a freaking jetpack that came in in the opening ceremonies. <laughs> Where are those? Why did why didn't why don't we have those yet? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was really freaky back in the day. That was like a James Bond kind of a thing, you know, that you're you're checking out at the time. Nowadays, you know, that kind of stuff happens more. But back in 1984, that was kind of wild to see this guy in a jetpack come flying out and. Through the, flying through the air, yeah. You know, so those were, the, the opening ceremonies were pretty cool. Now, we played in those 12 major league stadiums, but they weren't packed houses, and people were just barely getting there. You know, there was a, it could be 12,000, 15,000 people or a little more maybe when we played those games. But, you know, when we walked into the, the L.A. Coliseum for the opening ceremonies and you, you walk through this long tunnel, you know, you – starts in the LA sports arena where you, all the countries meet and then they call your country and you walk across the street then you go through this long tunnel, then you pop out the other end and boom, there's a hundred thousand people there. And it was just wild. You know, especially when the Americans popped out, you know, it, it erupted and, and it was crazy. And, you know, I've never stood in front of a hundred thousand people before. And, and then they, you know, they had this guy flying on that jet pack and, you know, Ronald Reagan was then talking, you know, President Reagan was talking on the speaker and, and they had the, the torch lighting, you know, thing. And got, it, it was, it was really incredible. That was a, like a big step for us guys because that got us maybe a step ready because when we played our games, they were in Dodger Stadium and every game was a sellout there. So it was like 55,000 people that we were playing in front of. And, uh, but I think it kind of cut the edge off for us a little bit to have that little, big crowd experience of that. It was incredible. Yeah, I was going to, I was wanted to ask you about playing in, at Dodger Stadium in front of those huge crowds. What was it like the first time, especially being a, a, a hometown boy in LA and going out and representing your country in the Olympics? What was it like that first time you headed out to the mound in the Olympics at Dodger Stadium? Well, it was all just a crazy experience for me. You know, I made the team now. I'm, I live in the LA area. My family was, you know, we were able to get tickets at, at the face cost, you know, so we weren't buying scalp tickets, but so I was able to get tickets for my family. All they had to do was just drive down the freeway and go to Dodger stadium, which, you know, my whole life as a kid growing up, you know, we'd gone several times. So the, the car knew right where to go. <laughs> so, and um, I'm wearing a, a, the United States baseball uniform, which is great. You know, it says USA in the front has your name in the back. And then here's your family and friends that are coming to these games come to see me, you know, in this uniform. And then my first time I had the opportunity to come out and pitch, you know, it was 
it was just one of those crazy feelings. You know, I got to come in, you know, I, I pitched in our second game. You know, our first game we played Chinese Taipei. John Hoover was our pitcher. He pitched a complete game and we won that game two to one. But then the second game we played Italy. Coach Gato brought me in in the ninth inning to hold this 16 to one lead. So I, I felt comfortable about doing that. But I, I was like excited. I got in. I'm in, I got in the Olympics. I'm in the books. You know, I'm in the record books. I got one inning, you know, no hits, no runs, or no, that kind of stuff. So I felt great. I got in. Uh, then the next game, we're playing the Dominican Republic. And um, I got in again. I go, oh, cool. I thought, you know, he got me my token game in. He's going to go with the other pitchers, was my thought. So I came in the ninth inning once again, and it's 12 to nothing lead. So. All right, I, I, I got to hold this 12-run lead. So, cool, I got in multiple games. So I thought I was done. But I was, you know, I was real happy that after the games that, you know, I'd meet my family afterwards. You know, everyone met the families before we got on our bus that took us back to the Olympic Village. And, you know, I got to see my mom, and she looked happy. My dad was happy. My younger brothers <laughs> were beaming. You know, everyone was, you know, it was just a great experience to have like that. Um, then... The third game, now we're in the medal rounds. You know, we're going to play Korea, and we had to win that to go play in the gold medal game. So um, I thought I was done. And uh, so in the dugout, I come out. I have my turf shoes on. I don't have my cup on or nothing. I only have my glove is still in the locker room up the tunnel, you know, behind the dugout there. And I was just going to go out and kick it in the dugout or in the bullpen and just hang and hope for the team to win. And as the game was getting ready to start, Coach Dato and our pitching coach, Coach Scalinas, they come up to me and they say, hey, you're going to be our first man up on relief. Are you ready? And I go, heck yeah, I'm ready. So as soon as they turn their backs and walk away, I had to, I had to run back up the tunnel, <laughs> go back in the clubhouse, put my spikes on, get my cup on, get my glove, and then go out to the bullpen and be prepared. And I got lucky. I mean, you know, Scott Bankhead was our pitcher that night, and he had a great summer pitching in the tour and he pitched already one game in the Olympics and he did a great job there. He was doing okay at first. He wasn't doing that bad, but they're kind of, the Koreans were kind of pecking at him a little bit. You know, it got me up a couple times in the bullpen early in the game. And then the fifth inning, you know, it was a, it was a two, two game and a runner on third base. And a, I think it was a two Oh count, you know, Gato came out and called me into the game. So I had to come in and hold this guy at third base, get the guy out, and which I did. And then uh, I went out for the next inning and the next inning. And, you know, he still had Bobby Witt and a guy named Pat Pasillo out in the bullpen. Warm-up. Those guys were some super hard throwers, you know, back in the, you know, at the college you know level that we were at at the time. You know, they were throwing mid-90s, you know. And I go, wow, I got some good backup. Just take it one batter at a time and see what happens. But, he let me finish the game out. So I went the final four and a third innings and didn't allow a run. We scored three runs and we got the win. And that put us into the gold medal game. So I ended up pitching in three of the five games. The final game against wow. Japan, I didn't pitch in. That was the next day after throwing four and a third. So I knew for sure I wasn't playing and going to pitch in that game. So it was cool. I got to pitch in three games and one of them was very meaningful. Got the win that put us into a gold medal game. So, I mean, that was just exciting as we're trying, you know, as we're explaining here with my family at the games in the Olympics in Dodger Stadium, right in the area where I grew up at. So it was like, you know, you couldn't, couldn't write it any better. 
that's that's an amazing experience, man. I got to imagine after playing in those big games in front of those big crowds, once you finally get to the major leagues, it, it probably, I mean, it was a, I'm sure it was a big deal. And I want to ask you about that, about your debut, but I, I, do you think it maybe took a little bit of the edge off of your first game in the majors, having that experience in the Olympics? I think so. I think so. You know, we, we did this tour, we traveled, we had the, the, the top rate, you know, playing in major league stadiums and we stayed in the best hotels. We traveled very well and all that kind of stuff, which kind of got us ready, you know, for the major league. You know, pretty much everybody has to go through the minor league grind though. You know, long bus rides, little towns, beat up old stadiums and that sort of thing. So going through that, I already kind of experienced the, the good taste, you know, of what baseball can offer. Um, by being on the Olympic team and a lot of, a lot of the other teammates, you know, we got all this exposure, and we are all pretty much were first-round draft picks anyways, but we got to go right into Major League Spring Training. So my very first spring training was at the Major Leagues with the Houston Astros. That's who I was drafted by. I got to go into my very first Major League Spring Training, and there's in my locker room, there's Nolan Ryan. You know, like, wow, okay. I mean, I grew up as a kid watching him at the California Angels. You know, we got, we got to experience and get um, a little bit of that taste. But, you know, minor leagues is the minor leagues, you know. But when we did make it to the major leagues, it was like, okay, we had a little bit of this taste, a little bit of this experience. It wasn't just like this big thing that just gets thrown in your face when you walk out on the on the major league baseball stadium for the first time. So I think that, yeah, I think that did help us out for sure. So let's talk about your debut. June 2nd, 1988. Los Angeles Angels at the Brewers. Do you remember? You remember who you faced and and what happened? Well, yep. Yeah, that's that's just history. Kind of rewrites itself in a way a lot. I mean, the Olympics were in L.A. You know, so I'm there in my home town. You know, the June second against the they were known as the California Angels at the time, and that's the team that was in Milwaukee when I arrived. I I, I arrived that morning. You know, I, I flew in from AAA, arrived in Milwaukee. They picked me up at the airport. Two of my bags are missing. Luckily, my baseball bag made it. They said, we'll worry about that later. So we drive to the county stadium. I walk into the locker room, excited for being there in the major leagues finally. Tom Troublehorn, the manager, says, hey, congratulations. You're on your way here, blah, blah, blah. He goes, we're bringing you here to be a starting pitcher. But we're going to throw you out in the bullpen today. Just So just kind of be ready for anything. You're going to pitch in three or four days against the Seattle Mariners in Seattle. I'm like, okay, that sounds great to me. So I'm going on out there. And now we're playing the California Angels, which is the game is being televised back to California, back to my hometown, which is kind of cool. I was able to, um, you know, the night before when I found out I was going to Milwaukee, you know, I called my mom, my dad, and, I don't know, maybe only a couple other people only had so much time. I had to pack up, and I was leaving early that next morning. So a lot of my friends and some of my family didn't even know it yet. So the next day, you know, the game's being televised, and my family and friends, I mean, hey, every day there's a ball game on, man. Let's turn on the TV and let's watch the Dodgers or the Angels, whoever's on TV. So um, I'm in the bullpen, and all of a sudden – our starting pitcher was struggling a little bit, and they called one guy, Paul Mirabella, up. So he went out in that fifth inning to to, to finish up 
you know, get the guy out of a jam. Then the, the phone rang and says, then the bullpen coach said, Hey, August, you're, you, you got the sixth inning. So cool. So I'm warming up. I feel the, you know, the anxiety and the butterflies kind of building up. I mean, I'm just trying to focus on get myself ready. And, you know, Larry Haney said, Hey, just go out there and just pitch like you've been doing this whole year down in AAA. Don't do anything any different. So, okay. Now the bullpen in Milwaukee was out in right center field beyond the home run fence there. So it was like a long jog to get to the mound, man. It felt like, my God, I felt like my arms were moving. And my, I didn't feel my legs where I felt like I was gliding on a way. All right. Got to the mound and went at it. And um, the first batter was Bob Boone. You know, everyone, Bob Boone had a great long career as a catcher. So I pitched against Bob Boone. I got him out. Um, I think I, I might've walked somebody in that inning. No, nope. I got, no, you, you had a clean inning. You had Bob Boone, oh, had clean inning. Okay. Dick Schofield and Chico Walker. You got three ground outs. Okay. That sounds good. <laughs> then you, you walked <laughs> Wally, you walked your, your, you walked Wally Joyner to lead off the inning. Yeah. But then again, okay. You got yeah. through it. That was the next inning. Right? Yeah. You, you had a, a good, uh, two, two innings pitch, no hits, one walk. It's a, it's a good debut. Right. Well, then, then we came from behind because when I came in the game, we were losing. We took the lead, and then we brought in our closer, Dan Plezak, who had been like an all-star for like three years in a row. Now, that's back in the day when pitcher, uh, relief pitchers, closers, came out and did multiple-inning saves. So he went out there and did a two-inning <laughs> save and saved in the game. So I got the win. My first day in the big leagues, I get a win. The game's being televised back to California. My friends and family who didn't know I was called up yet later would tell me, yeah, we flip on the TV and it's the Brewers versus the Angels. And next thing you know, they, they look and there's my face pitching in the sixth inning that just kind of freaked them out a little bit. So, so then, then to top the whole story off, my bags were found and they were sitting in the clubhouse in the locker room ready for me to, you know, I had them to go back to take to the hotel where I was going to stay that night at. So it was a, it was a great day, you know, and just couldn't, Another thing that you just couldn't write it up any better. So you had a very good uh, rookie campaign, came in fourth in the rookie of the year balloting. And uh, another big game that you pitched, you're, you, you've pitched a lot of games in front of a lot of people. You pitched the very first game in the Sky Dome in Toronto. You got the first win there, too. Yeah. That was, uh, yeah. I, I, I remember specifically that game because the sky dome was this brand new. I mean, it was right before Camden yards. And I thought to myself, this is what baseball is going to look like for the next 50 years. This, you know, steel, uh, the steel shiny stadium. What, uh, what did you think about it when you walked in there, especially after pitching in, in, in County stadium in Milwaukee? Well, this, this sky dome was getting a lot of big hype, you know, as a player, you know, you just learn. You show up wherever you play, you're at, you pitch, you got to do what you got to do. You got to win the ball game that day. But there was a lot of hype about this Sky Dome, the, the future of what baseball stadiums were going to look like. Now, this wasn't at the beginning of the season. This was like in June. So the Toronto Blue Jays started that 1989 season playing in their old exhibition stadium, which was a football field that you know, they put a fence up around and made a baseball stadium out of it. But uh, they started there, so I guess they're a little bit behind schedule on getting the stadium ready. So they, I think they picked June the whatever 
I think it was like fifth or sixth day, whatever it was, as they're going to, all right. And that, that just so happened, that was the the day that the Milwaukee Brewers were going to show up. So we were playing the very first games in Skydome. And then it just so happened on the rotation, that was my, just had to be my day to pitch. So I was okay. To me, it was still going to be just like another game, but there was all this extra hype for sure all around that. Um, when we, we got to the stadium, you know, we're walking in and, you know, we see this, there's a roof that opens and closes. They got a hard rock cafe in there. They got a hotel in there. And you see all these windows where people who stay in the hotel can look out and watch a game. And they had all the bells and whistles. They were like the first ones to get all that stuff, which now the following, which almost all the new stadiums now that we have all kind of copied. You, you got to get all that stuff in the, the luxury boxes and, the whole everything. So when we got in there, you can still hear the, the, the workers working. Things are pounding and rivets were being put in and all that kind of stuff. So they were still finishing up the last little bits and pieces of it, you know, you know, as soon as the, you know, so throughout batting practice, you can hear all this stuff, you know, and you see welders welding some things, you know, but the main structure was intact. So once the game started, of course, all that stuff, was turned off and it was game on and it is it was time to play and they they of course the the blue jays made a big deal about it you know this big stadium that they've been talking about forever so they had these ceremonies and they they call out all the players on the the you know the first base and third base foul lines and announced and introduced everybody and you know it was this big 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 thing but you know once the game started it was, it was like business as usual you know, you, you got to win that game that day. And I remember we were going up against, I was pitching up against Jimmy Key, who was a great major <clears throat> left-handed pitcher of the time, you know. So, mm-hmm. you know, I had my work, my work cut out for me. And the Blue Jays, they didn't have no slots of a lineup either. So, um, I, I went out there and, you know, top of the first inning, Paul Molinar hits a double. So, he gets the first, very first base hit in Skydome. Um before I got the, actually the first win, I did give up another first. I gave up the first home run to Fred McGriff. So you know, <laughs> no like shame the second there. Inning, I believe he crushed no, no a shame. ball opposite field home run off of me. So he got the first home run off of me. But my team scored enough runs, more runs than I gave up. And I I was taken out, I believe, in the sixth inning with a lead. And my relief pitchers held them down. And I got the first W, which is kind of cool. Um, I thought it was just a good win in a kind of a game like that. But, you know, after the game, the Blue Jays came into the locker room. They wanted my hat and wanted me to sign it because they, they put this on a display that they would oh, wow. have later. I guess where people took tours of Skydome, you know, and I've had a, a number of people who went on these tours of the, of the stadium said, they, well, yeah, I saw your hat. You know, your hat is in there and there's a ball <laughs> and all these other different things. And, so I think it's cool if other people think it's cool. You know what I mean? So years Absolutely. later, people bring this up. I think, hey, yeah, I remember the day. It was a good day. So, yeah. All right. That was very cool. We've still got, I mean, that's, we're barely through his, halfway through his career, if that, at this point. I I, I have a list of questions. I'm not quite halfway done. Yeah, I've, I, I've, they're staring at this screen I have in front of me with all my questions and I've 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 crossed through like (laughs) 
He's just so good with the detail, you know? He remembers some things that are just so important to the story. It's fantastic. Good stuff. Now, I'm excited. I I hope he does write that book. Well, it sounds like he has written it for the most part. I hope hope he finds a publisher uh, because that would be great to to be able to read those. Um, I'll be first in line. So, yeah, obviously we've got more next week. Please join us again next week, including a Wax Packs Heroes that we did with uh, with Don. But since we're going to hold off with that till next week, till we get to the end of our interview with him, Mark, you and I, we're going to we're going to lace it up one more time. Let's you and I engage in another cardboard and wax based battle it's something we like to call and so we do wax pack heroes gotta pull the wax pack heroes I got 1990 Donruss again simply because I have an abundance of 1990 Donruss that I would like to get through one of my absolute least favorite <laughs> cards, so this is great. <laughs> uh, again, though, there are some cards in this 1992 May Beckett's that we use to score these that are worth some money. We've got several error cards that are worth over $2, including a Nolan Ryan, which you would be excited yes. to get. And there's a, a Juan Gonzalez error rookie card that's worth $2. There's some big money cards in here. There's a Ken Griffey that's worth 60 cents. We have not Oof. pulled any of these. We, <laughs> me especially, but uh, no. regardless, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to go with this again. So I've got my two packs here for you in their lovely orange wax packs. I am, I'm tempted to just, I'm going to pick the pack because you've just been kicking my butt. And do, do you want to hear the name I came up with for the, like the last five games we've okay. had? I like to call it the cavalcade of commons. Yes. <laughs> it really is. We've just gotten <laughs> nothing. Zilch, zero, nada. Really kiss. It's been brutal. Well, you, you've gotten more than I have, though. I mean, I'm barely scoring 15 cents on these things. But all right. Yeah. I'm... So we've got we've got our two packs here. I'm going to choose the pack this time. And I'm going to choose the left pack because I think that's what you've been choosing. And, and you had been winning. So I've got that pack. I will let you choose whether you want to go first or last, though. Oh, wow. I never get to go last. I want to go, go last. last. All right. So you're going to be the home team. Yeah. So I'm going to take your pack and put it over I'm there. Sorry. Here's my pack. Let's go ahead and rip it open here. Uh, hope these just, I'm sure they've never been opened before. <laughs> just. <laughs> we certainly hope. All not. right. So we got our Yastrzemski uh, puzzle pieces. We've got 13, 14, and 50. We've had this one last week. I think it's the top of his hat. So. That's my favorite one. Well, it's so. a good looking one. I mean, it's the Red Sox, but it's a, I mean, the Red Sox logo is classic. So, all right. So let's start off here. Uh, we're starting. I'm starting off with a Mariner. I don't know if that's good or bad. Third baseman for the Mariners at this point, Jim Presley. Yeah, it's, uh, it's good. <laughs> he provided a little bit of, of offense for a, a third baseman. We, we were still kind of figuring out what third baseman we're supposed to do. And then we found Kyle Seager. <laughs> well, you had Edgar so. was a third baseman too. Don't forget. <laughs> hey, Edgar. And he was, he was a, Fine third baseman, but a better designated hitter. All right. So looking at this card, he does not have real stirrups. I realize we just forgot to go over the rules. Let's go over the rules real quick. We're scoring using a May 1992 Beckett baseball card monthly. That way we've got some value to these cards. A couple of other rules. If they are wearing real stirrups, you get an extra cent right there in your pocket. Big money. If you're like Mr. Jim Presley here and you're wearing these two-in-one stirrups that are not cool, every player that we've talked to says, yeah, I wore them because they were easy. I understand. doesn't yep. mean we're going to like it. You get a minus a set. If you are sporting a mustache, which I think this is a mustache. 
Yeah, that's definitely a mustache. I'm having a hard time focusing, but that's a that's a definite mustache for Mr. Presley. You get another cent. Again, money in the pocket, in the bank right there. Uh, and then if you are a Hall of Famer, you get an extra 25, uh, extra 25 cents. You get an extra five cents. I was going big there. So Jim Presley, this card is not worth anything in Beckett. He's wearing the two and one. So that's minus a cent. But then I get a, a cent back for that mustache. So I, I'm, I'm even on that one. All yeah. right. Next, we've got pitcher for the White Sox. This is a rookie card. So my my hopes are high for uh, Mr. Greg Hibbard. Greg Hibbard, lefty starter. Yep. And yep. Yeah. Uh, he's pretty good. He's a pretty solid pitcher. Yeah. Yeah. I remember he was he was around for quite a while uh, for the White Sox. He is definitely wearing real stirrups. He's got them you know, pulled up nice and high there. You could see a lot of it. And uh, this rookie card is worth four cents. So that's, uh, you, you know, bully for me. There's a five cent card to get me started. I'll take it. He shoots, he scores. All right, here we go. The Lemmer for the uh, Atlanta Braves, Mark Lemke. <laughs> yes, great middle infielder. He's the kind of guy that you, you could just pretty much stick anywhere and even use him to pinch hit once yeah, in a while. He was a real stalwart for those Braves teams. Uh Five yeah. nine one sixty seven, a That's switch awesome. hitter. Yeah, he could play anywhere. He's listed here as the second baseman, but he and Jeff Blauser would alternate. And Rafael Belliard. That was that was the what what a small middle of the infield. But yeah, there you go. I know. <laughs> Belliard was like three foot. Yeah, three, he was he? not a not a big guy. Completely covered by his helmet. If I remember. Yeah, no. Right. Was Lemke the guy? I think it was Lemke. Was the guy that never got hit by a bitch his entire career. Yeah, I think I think you're right. We yeah. talked about that. Never, never got, got hit. hit never got pitch. plunked. Uh, so that card not worth anything. No mustache. Can't see a stirrup. So nothing there. Next uh, lefty pitcher for the Chicago Cubs. It is Paul Kilgus. Remember Kilgus? I don't remember a lot about him. Yeah, I don't remember. Don't I, I remember the name? But that's about it. He's got uh, the two and ones, but he's also got a mustache there. So no value in Beckett. So that'll just break even there. I, I hate when the when their two and ones are up so high. There's like a two inch gap between the top of his shoes and the that bottom line of those. <laughs> Why didn't they just sew them all the way down to the bottom of the sock? Would have made it at least a little better. I don't know. Yeah. All right, I got a Diamond King card here. We know these can be worth a little bit, but uh, I'm guessing this one might not be. It is first baseman here with the Cleveland Indians. I remember this guy mainly with the Rangers. It is Pete O'Brien. Oh, Pete O'Brien, sure. Um, yeah, he was a Ranger most of his career, I think. I, I want to say he was. Am I thinking was. Of yeah, the... I, that's, that's where I remember him. I, I didn't remember that he was on the, the Cleveland team, but uh, here he is. Not, not worth anything. And there he is. Next, we've got a rated rookie. Oh, boy. Watch out. It is a pitcher. Obviously, a rookie card for the Detroit Tigers. It is Brian Dubois. I don't remember no, that No, you don't one. remember Brian Dubois? I do He kind of looks like uh, Mark Salas. Remember the catcher, Mark Salas? He's got like... Sure, Mike, Mark Salas, that, Mark. <laughs> that big, he's got a big face, a big head. Uh, but Mr. <laughs> Dubois... As I said, it's a rookie card. It's worth two cents, and he's wearing real stirrups. So that's a three-cent card for me. I'll take it. All right. Uh, all right. Next, we've got another pitcher. This one for the Milwaukee Brewers. Might have been a teammate of Mr. Don August. It's Jaime Navarro. Hey. Uh, so Jaime Navarro, this rookie card is worth four cents, and he's wearing a mustache. So that's a five-cent card. Oh. This is my best, my best pack in a long time, I'll tell you that. You're starting to hit yeah. quick. All right. This guy uh, here, he was with the Chicago White Sox, left-handed guy with power and always had those big science teacher glasses. He's wearing real stirrups. It is Dan Pasqua. Dan Pasqua. 
Remember, he was on the Yankees when Ricky was on the Yankees. Yeah, I haven't thought about that guy in a long time. Not a bad ball player. Yeah, not uh, not bad. He had some definite pop there. Next catcher for the Minnesota Twins, it is Mr. Tim Laudner. No value there. Uh, Real stirrups, though, so I do get one cent. That brings me up to 15 cents. Next, oh, this is a good starter. Good lefty for the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, Obviously won a World Series this year in 1990. It is Tom Browning. Tom Browning, 200-inning guy. Tough. He would you you had to hang in there against him. He was a, he was a tough pitcher. Good good starter. It's all major league starter right there. Yeah, uh, cards worth no value though. And Beckett, no stirrups, no mustache. So that's nothing for me. Oh boy, this is, I'm gonna I'm gonna bite my tongue on this guy. Here he is. He did come up with the Baltimore Orioles. Kind of strange to see him in this uniform. Best known. I think I know. Who, who's your guess? Kurt Schilling. There you go. I had to because I, I got to bite my tongue of what I think of him personally, and came up with the Orioles, best known probably for the Diamondbacks and the bloody sock with the Red Sox. It is uh, Kurt Schilling, another unbelievable powerhouse pitcher. Kurt Schilling, uh, his card not worth anything back in uh, at this point. So screw you, Kurt. I'm not even going to look. He does have the. Uh, it is an old Comiskey though. The exploding scoreboard is in the background there, but nice anyway. I'll let you go bankrupt the uh, state of Rhode Island some more with your video game company. Uh, Next, we will uh, move on to uh, Mr. Jay Howell, pitcher for the Dodgers. Jay Howell, uh, a good pitcher, a better jokester. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, joke's on me because that card is not worth anything. No mustache, no stirrups. See, he got you again. Uh, All right, next outfielder for the Toronto Blue Jays. I believe he was the center fielder with uh, Barfield and Lloyd. uh, Oh, no, this is Lloyd Mosby. Uh, George Bell and uh, Jesse Barfield flanked him. It is Lloyd Mosby. Lloyd Mosby, solid ball player, too. Yeah, I've seen I saw a lot of things on social media, especially on from Jesse Barfield that said that uh, he really considered Lloyd Mosby kind of the, the glue of that outfield. Uh, hmm. really underrated when you've got Barfield and Bell, uh, you know, flanking you. Yeah, but, uh, exactly. So that card's not worth anything. I I don't think that's a mustache. I think it's just a shadow. So uh, no card there, or no uh, no value for me. Oh, this is a great card. with, And it's a rookie card, too. Might be worth more now than it was then. But uh, with, the, uh, with the Cleveland team at this point, it says here on the card, Joey Bell. Oh, you know it's Joey. Better. As Albert Bell, but there you go. He was Joey, Joey Bell. I remember him being Joey Bell. And then we were yeah. all told, knock it off, it's Albert. <laughs> yeah. so, so it's been a weird misspelling over all these years. Uh, someone was really misspelling Albert. <laughs> well, Beckett uh, likes the way it's spelled. That is a 35-cent card right there Woo! from Joey Albert one. Bell. And Uh-oh. he's wearing real stirrups, too. So that is easy oh, no. to best card i've gotten in a good long minute the back of his card albert joey joan bell j-o-j-u-a-n number two selection in the in the draft in 1987 but joey a lot of home runs joey bell just a reminder we did an episode quite a while back about uh, batgate and uh albert bell had a lot of fun uh that was one of our first episodes i think it might have been episode number two (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was super interesting because you had all the inside dope and, and that just made it so interesting than rather than just the typical and it's bad and it was there and then it was gone. Well, so, yeah, so you guys want to go back and listen to an old episode, listen to the details of what happened. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, none of this is behind a paywall either, folks. You you're, you have That's full right. access, so make sure to check out past episodes if you're new to us. All right. Next, we've got third baseman for the New York Yankees. 
uh, I believe we talked about him just recently on one of the the games we did on Hot Mike. It is Randy Velarde. Yeah, we did. Randy Randy Velarde came in. Uh, he was in the last game we did on Hot Mike. Uh, the double game against the Mariners. Yeah. Yeah. So that uh, card, unfortunately, no value in Beckett, but he is wearing real stirrups. I forgot to update my total after that Joey Albert Bell card. I, I got bumped up to 51 cents. This uh, stirrup money here will give me 52. So I this, this is actually uncharted if, territory for me you, lately. If you go to the next card without writing down your value, it doesn't count anymore. Well, I wrote it down. I just didn't update you. So <laughs> <laughs> you could be lying. Then again, what do I care? All right, next we've got another rated rookie card. This one with the Angels. It is Mike Fetter's pitcher for the uh, Angels here. Mike Fetter's pitched for a while, I believe. So Mike Fetter's, if you remember, late in his career, he would do this thing when he was getting ready to pitch. He would come set, and he's a reliever, so he'd pitch out of the stretch all the time. He would come set where he would, and he would be looking at the third baseman or the third base coach, and then he would snap his neck really quick and look home. And it was, it, and he, Mike Fetters became a very large individual at the end of his career. I'm thinking specifically when he was with the Diamondbacks. And there was a game late in his career when they were getting blown out, and Mark Grace, the first baseman, came in and pitched to end the ball game. And there is great video. I'll try to find it on YouTube and, and put a link in the show notes where when Mark Grace comes into pitch, he mimics Mark Fetters and he does that <laughs> and he snaps his neck and looks into home and he starts cracking up because right? he's That's just awesome. having a good time out there on the mound. But, That's great. Uh, that card is worth two cents, and Mike Fetters has a mustache right there. So that's a three-cent card to bring me up to 55 cents with one card left. And it is an MVP card. It's somebody we've talked about just earlier in this pack. No. Is it yeah. – uh, it's not Lloyd Mosby. Is it uh, – <laughs> it, well, it's not we, Joey Bell. Yeah, you got to think MVP. So it is George Bell. Oh, George Bell, that's right. So uh, that uh, those MVP cards are usually not worth anything. Yeah. And this one is is not, except for uh, George Bell's got a mustache. Good for him. So that's <laughs> Wait, 56 cents. even if it's cents. paint, it counts? No this, is, no, this isn't a Diamond King. This is MVP. Oh. There you go. 56 cents. I'm happy with that. Yeah, right, no, that's, that's, a, that's not a bad score at all. That That's beat my, my last couple of packs by about 40 cents. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You've tripled your score. All right. So here's your pack. Let's uh, dive into it here. This is going to be a good Here. one, folks. Pay attention. Just struggling with it there. All right, the uh, the cards uh, we've got part of his uh, right arm. It looks like uh, that's uh, forty, forty one, and forty two. There you go. You're looking for those puzzle pieces. Let me there know. You go. I'm putting that together right. slowly but surely. All right, so you're going to start off with an MVP card. Uh, it is Mr. Padre himself, Tony. Tony Gwen. Gwen. Anthony Keith. The legend. Gwen. You can't say enough good things about him, and, and it, it's unfortunate that we lost him so early in life because, man, he could sure be teaching us a lot about hitting right about now. And he was so, he just was always happy on the baseball diamond. Uh, I believe he, once he retired, he was the uh, head coach at his alma mater, San Diego State. Uh, this card is worth two cents, and he's got the mustache as always, so you're going to get, oh, and he's a Hall of Famer. So, uh, yeah, so that's an eight-cent card for you. Uh, two good cents start. on the value, a mustache, and a Hall of Fame. So there you go. Very nice. Oh boy, this is a good card. I hate when I say oh boy, but I get excited. This I, it's just like when we used to open cards back in the day. I get excited looking at these. That's right. Prime time. Oh, Here, my hero. This is this is a rookie card too. I'm afraid to look up what this is going to be worth. Dion Lewin Sanders, rookie card. Here he is with the New York Yankees. Yep. Wow, it's only worth 8 cents. 
if Albert Bell was worth 35, I was expecting this to be worth like 20 cents or something. But that's eight cents and he does have that mustache. So that'll be a nine cent card to bump you up to 17 cents after two cards. It's not bad. You know, there was always the eternal argument of who was the better two-sport athlete, Bo Jackson or Deion Sanders. I always found myself on the Deion Sanders side. Really? Oh, I am firmly entrenched on the Bo side. No points for being a football Hall of Famer, NFL. We're not going there. No, no. Here is a guy, center fielder for the Phillies, also with the Mets, nicknamed Nails, recently was <laughs> ruled against in court. He tried to sue somebody for defamation, and the court ruled that he had such a bad reputation already that there was no way anybody could defame him. It is Lenny Dykstra. <laughs> Boy, that's a rough ruling, man. Yeah, I... I I think that's if Kurt Schilling or Aubrey Huff tried to sue anybody for defamation. I, I think the, that ruling would be precedent here. That card not worth anything for nails and uh, no stirrups. He's got the lightest of a five o'clock shadow. I mean, it's really light. We're liberal here with these things. So I'll, <laughs> I'll give you a cent on that one. So you're up to 18 right. cents. Next pitcher. I don't remember him from the Dodgers. I remember him mainly with the Yankees and the Rangers, but here he is pitcher for the Dodgers and it's a rookie card. John Wetland. Yeah, he, he was a Dodger. Um, I think his start, wasn't he? Yeah. That, he was this an is a rookie card. Nope. Okay. So he was a Dodger. Then he was an expo. Yeah. Because this is his rookie card and yeah. uh, it is Dodgers. Yeah. Number two pick in the 85 amateur draft. But yeah, you're right. He was uh, on the expos at some point too. Yeah. That card is uh, worth two cents, his rookie card, and then he's got real stirrups going on there. So that's a three-set card, bringing you up to 21 cents. Next Still for a big score here. Yeah, well, you're doing okay. Uh, next for the Padres, Ed Lee Whitson. Wow, he stuck around a while, didn't he? Yeah, I was going to say, he's, uh, he's in this card, he is 97 years old. <laughs> he's a journeyman, but he always seemed to be able to offer something to some team, you know, to help him along. <laughs> this card, uh, nothing in Beckett's. He's got that mustache, and he's got those stirrups, because he's a... a Old school guys. That's two cents. That's right. Brings you up to 23. Next, we've got Swiss Army Knife infielder for the Oakland A's. Ricky Henderson uh, let this guy live in his house when he was a rookie. Here he is, Mr. Tony Phillips. I remember Tony, second baseman, first baseman. Played, played outfield? He, yeah, he played a little outfield, too, for the A's. I remember him with, uh, I, was, I was just a fan at the time, but um, I remember him in Tacoma. Fairly certain Tony Phillips passed away a couple of years ago, unfortunately. But uh, I, boy, he was a big part of those those late '80s teams for the for the A's because he could he just did. you could slot him in anywhere. Uh, unfortunately for you, he is wearing two and ones, but Tony Phillips always had a mustache, so that will uh, that'll even that out. You'll you'll just get nothing on that one. Uh, next, you've got another MVP card. We talked about him earlier in batting practice. He was the right fielder for the Angels when they started a game with no center fielder. It is Chili Davis, Charles Davis. This card not worth anything, but Chili's got a mustache. So you're gonna get one cent. You are now at Ricky Henderson level value with 24 cents. All right, next, uh, we've got a first baseman for the Baltimore Orioles, Randy Milligan. Randy Milligan. Big guy, wasn't he? Yep, big guy. Had yeah. some pop. Uh, yeah, I remember him a little bit. Card's not worth anything, but he's got a mustache. So you now you're up to Mark McGuire, 25. Here comes your second Hall of Famer. This uh, You're going to score pretty big with this. It's a Diamond Kings of John Smoltz. John Smoltz, oh man, yeah, hard-throwing righty, awesome starter, but also an awesome closer. Detroit Tigers legend, John Smoltz. Uh, Boston Red Sox <laughs> legend, John Smoltz. Yes. Uh, mostly known for those Tigers years. Did he play for the Tigers? Oh, I uh, don't know. Yeah, that's who he came up with, and they traded him, and then I, I believe his uh, final season, 
in the majors was with the Tigers as well. I think he pitched for the Cardinals as well for one season. The Cardinals, the Red Sox, and the Tigers, I believe he all spent one season with. But uh, Card is not worth anything, but he's a Hall of Famer, so there's five cents. I can see he's got real stirrups in the painting, and he's got a mustache, so that's a seven-cent card for you. Wow, that worked Brings out. up to 32 cents, yeah. Next, this is a catcher for the Mets, who at one point could not throw the ball back to the pitcher. Was that uh, Mackie Sasser? Mackie Sasser, you got it. What a name, Mackie. Mackie. What was uh, I just looked at it? What's his real name? His real name's Mac. Mac Daniel Sasser. Oh, uh, uh, okay, that makes sense. The card's not worth anything, though. No mustache, no, no stirrups. Uh, next outfielder for the Boston Red Sox, Kevin Romine. Don't recall a whole lot about him. I remember him just because he was on those teams that would always face the A's and the ALCS in uh, in '89 and '90. Uh, he's sure. kind of a fourth outfielder, but he is uh, not worth anything. But he's got a real mustache, got real stirrups. Well, he's my hero then. You're going to get uh, two cents for that. That'll bring you up to thirty-four cents with uh, about five and cards Ryan left. Score now. Oh yeah, there you go. Uh, all right, Spuds McKenzie, Chris Sabo, got it. Rookie of <laughs> oh, the year, that guy. Yeah, rookie of the year. Very angry at umpires. Did not like umpires. Didn't like umpires. Uh, been known to bat with a bat full of uh, super, you know, crazy balls. Uh, Chris Sabo, this card is worth three cents. He's got real stirrups, so that's a four-cent card to bring you up to 38 cents. Next, oh, here's our favorite catcher. Our favorite catcher for the Seattle Mariners of all time. We <coughs> talked about him during during that hot mic game with the, with the Yankees and the Mariners. I ask you who was the best catcher in Mariners history knowing that the answer was Dan Wilson, but I wanted your take on Mr. Dave Valley. <laughs> Dave Valley is a fine commentator. He is a fine commentator. And a, and and a good uh, defensive catcher, too. Oh, he had a great gun. Great gun. Batting average, though, was just always pedestrian. But that, that card's not worth anything. No stirrups visible and no mustache, unfortunately. Next, we've got outfielder for the Dodgers. Uh, he came up with the Reds. I always think of him more as, as a Red. Cal Daniels, real first name, Kalvoski. Kalvoski Daniels. The things I learned here, Kalvoski Daniels. Cal Daniels was a solid player. Yeah, he had a lot of pop. He was he was a very unassuming guy in terms of he didn't get a lot of pub. Like you just no. didn't. He, he wasn't a guy you heard a lot about, but he had a lot of power. Baseball uh, fans knew him very well. Yeah, so uh, he's got a mustache, wispy, but it's a mustache. That'll bring you up to 39 cents with two cards left. This guy was a great, li- uh, he was a closer. He was a great closer in the National League for the St. Louis Cardinals, Todd Worrell. Todd, we are the Worrell. <laughs> Do, you're making these up on the fly. I've never heard I, of maybe, these I don't names. Know. <laughs> you never know with me. <laughs> well, this card's not worth anything in Beckett, but he has got a great... Al Herboski mustache going on here. It is all the way down to the, to his chin. But, nice. uh, that's that's the only value you're you're going to get there. But that'll bring you up to forty cents with one card remaining. One card remaining. I need a big hit. Yeah, I'm I'm going to tell you. I'm I'm going to claim victory before I even look up this guy's <laughs> value. I oh, think man. of this guy as a Houston Astro, and I can see him in those Tequila Sunrise jerseys at third base for the Houston Astros. It is Denny Walling here with the St. Louis Cardinals. Denny Walling yeah. was awesome. I loved my Astros. So no value on, on Mr. Walling, no mustache and no stirrups visible. So that will uh, bring your final total to 40 cents to my 56 Ugh. cents. Yeah, I have I finally crushed. broken the streak. I had, to, I had to fire my manager. I sent several people down to the miners to shake it up. I pulled a lineup out of a hat. 
I did. I, I sent I sent our bat boy to to home plate with our lineup for the umpires. I did everything to break the streak, and it worked. And it worked. Finally worked. <laughs> All right. So there you have it. Uh, right. The score now seventeen to thirteen. There you have it. Another another episode. Another edition of Wax Packs Heroes. So let's uh, let's start to wrap up the show. Like to first of all, as we always do, like to thank everybody for listening. We really do appreciate it. Hope you enjoy our uh, baseball frivolity as much as we enjoy uh, producing it. Mark, we can be found in several places around the internet. We can be found on social media on both Twitter and Instagram at Two Strike Noise. That is at T W O Strike Noise. They can also find us uh, on. Uh, on uh, email. I guess you wouldn't really find us on email, but they can send us email. You want to tell them if how to do that? If you send us an email, the email will find us. So <laughs> you don't need to find us. The email will. Yeah, it's just uh, spell it out. T-W-O, strike noise at gmail.com. Also, we have been doing some uh, some fun stuff on an app called Hot Mike. You can find it on both the Apple and Android app store. Just search for Hot Mike, H-O-T-M-I-C, or you can download it on the internet at hotmike.io. It is completely free. It's going to ask you for a code. You just type in our name right there. Two Strike Noise, T-W-O Strike Noise, all one word. It's free. Uh, we have been using this app to watch some old games. We've done uh, game seven of the 2001 World Series. We did uh, game five of the 1995 ALCS with the Yankees and the Mariners with Edgar's double. We watch these games and we just talk about them. We talk about uh, the teams, the players, what's actually happening in the game. It's a lot of fun. Uh, we've got some more games uh, coming up. So if you want to check us out there, you can also find us on YouTube. Just search for Two Strike Noise. Likewise, this is all in the show notes. We've done all the hard work for you. Just scroll down wherever you're, you're listening to this, and there's a link right there. You can click on it, and you can you can follow us. You can subscribe on all these places, so you don't have to don't to do all this. But regardless, uh, next week, Mark, we've got a continuation of our uh, conversation with Don August. Still, a lot of great things, some really good stories, some very interesting stories uh, from when Don was playing in Asia. Uh, so yes. you want to be sure a story that just blows my mind. Uh, so you'll be sure to, to want to join us for that. And Mark, I know you're going to be here because we've already recorded it. So I already know you're, you're locked in. <laughs> yeah, you'll be able to find me pretty easily. All right. So once again, everybody, uh, thank you for joining us. And we will see you next week on another episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day, everybody.